This is the Sheffield Vineyard Podcast. We love Jesus and we want to be a people that follow him with all of our lives. We love our city of Sheffield and we want to see it full of people who are full of the life that Jesus has to offer. I want to talk to you a bit more about Ezra. Um, we're doing a series on Ezra at the moment, and if you've not heard any of the preceding talks, or if you've not been paying any attention at all, then let me just give you a bit of a summary of what we've covered so far, and then we're all up to scratch. So the Jews had been captured um, by, by the Babylonians, and then they'd been held in captivity thereafter by the Persians. Um, but they were allowed to go back in sort of dribs and drabs, really. Um, and there were like three main phases where the, the Jews were allowed to go back to uh, their homeland um, and their home city in particular, Jerusalem. And now the first phase of that return, uh, we've already looked at uh, in previous talks, and um, it it was a chap called Zerubbabel who sort of led that first bunch of people back, and they rebuilt the temple. And if you want to hear more about that, then you can uh, look at some of our um, talks online. They came across a lot of opposition as they embarked on this rebuilding uh, project, but God was with them. And this is the important bit. For the first time in a long while, the Jews started to trust and obey God. They actually trusted for God's protection, and that stood them in good stead. And we learned from the last talk last week that God's desire is for us to have a life that most of us think we could never have. It's that good. And yet most of us settle for second best second best, and we miss out on what we otherwise could have had. And if you want to hear more about that, then you can, you can look at the um, Sheffield Vineyard YouTube channel. Um, and we're going to pass over this next section in the book of Ezra, which talks about how the Jews celebrated Passover. Get the pun? Oh, I enjoyed that when I wrote it anyway. So, um, and we're going to look at, today we're going to look at a new character, um, and it's Ezra himself. Wow. And um, so I've mentioned in a previous talk there was Zerubbabel. He, um, uh, he led the first wave. Ezra, he led the second wave of people returning back to Jerusalem. And then there was a guy called Nehemiah, and he led the, the third wave. But to be honest, we've talked about him in uh, a series of talks many years ago. We're not going to revisit that again anytime soon, but you can listen to all about Nehemiah um, in our back catalogue. Now, Ezra is an important person. Uh, he's, he's from sort of aristocracy. He's from the line of Aaron. That's a bit like being in a kind of like the royal family today. And he's also really, really bright. He's a, he's a smart cookie. He's a scribe and he, uh, he's an expert in Jewish law. And it's likely the case that when word of the temple being rebuilt got over to the Jews who were still in Babylon, that they kind of thought, oh, actually, home's being rebuilt. I think I might quite like to go back home myself. 
Um, life was actually fairly comfortable in Babylon, to be fair. And so, you know, a number of them didn't go to, to begin with because actually they kind of settled into a new way of life. But, but now they've got winds that their old um, uh, uh, land, their native land, is being rebuilt and it's going quite well. And so a whole bunch of people thought, do you know what? I'm going to make the move. And that bunch of people was led by Ezra. And Ezra was probably chosen uh, to lead them because... The Jews needed to relearn what a good relationship with God looks like. And Ezra was the right guy to teach the people what a good relationship with God looked like. You have to bear in mind um, that the reason why the Jews were, were, God allowed the Jews to get into captivity in the first place was because they didn't know what a good relationship with their God looked like and they didn't practice a good relationship with their God. And so they are on a learning journey. It's not just a journey back to a homeland, it's a journey back into a relationship with God. And Ezra was jumping now into the story and it was his job to sort of help the Jews to, to build their personal relationship uh, with God again. Now the Persian king, and I'm going to call him Art, because he's got a long name and I can't really pronounce it. So he's called Art, and he gave Ezra authority to leave Babylon a whole, along with a whole load of new people, probably thousands of people. It doesn't actually say quite how many, but we, I would imagine it's thousands. And he also gave Ezra a whole load of goodies to bring back. And I want to just um, uh, quote to you a little passage just to, so we get an idea of how much stuff they're going to be carting back to, uh, to Jerusalem. And it says this, this is Ezra 7, 21 and 23. I think it's going to be on the screen. Here it is. And it says, Now I, King Art, decrees that all the treasuries of trans-Euphrates are to provide with diligence... Uh, whatever Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of God, of God of heaven, may ask of you, up to a thousand talents of silver, that's about th uh, 3,400 kilograms of silver, um, about a hundred cores of wheat, that's about 16,000 kilograms of wheat, about a hundred baths of wine, that's about 2,200 litres, which is more than in my cellar. <laughs> about a hundred baths of olive oil, that's another 2,200 litres, and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Um, so the problem was, the journey was perilous. Okay, the route uh, went through territories where bandits lived. And Ezra felt on this occasion that he should not accept an offer of a military entourage to protect him and the rest of the Jews. He felt that God, on this instance, that God was wanting for the Jews to exercise special faith in God's protective powers. Remember that the Jews were still on a learning journey to practice their faith and reliance in God. And, uh, and Ezra was you know, allowing the Jews to get into the swing of doing this. That's why, uh, that's why they said no to a military entourage. And so in summary, the Jews uh, were to carry an enormous amount of wealth and enough booze for a Downing Street Works event. Um, and they needed to travel through an ancient equivalent to the Bronx. And they had no pro police protection at all. That's the situation. 
It reminded me of a time when I went to uh, Harare in Zimbabwe one time. I was about 17, and I was travelling with a, a group of other white Westerners, and we looked... I mean, we looked wealthy compared with everyone else. I'm just, you know, that's just the honest truth of the matter. And we went on an overnight train, which back in those days um, had a, a reputation for lots of burglary. But basically, the train travelled so slowly overnight that anyone who lived along the train route could easily just jump on the train and burgle you and then jump off again. And I remember on my journey... I woke up, um, it was an overnight uh, sleeping carriage, and I woke up and I noticed a knife being shoved through the door and they're trying to just, you know, flick up the latch so they could come in. And I thought, what would James Bond do? <laughs> no doubt James Bond would have had some protracted, enormous fight involving the breaking of everything in the carriage. And then I thought, what would Bourne do? And, and Bourne, Jason Bourne, he, he then moved the fight out onto the top of the train, right? And, uh, and it would just go, you know, everyone would get hit. But um, moments before his assailant would, you know, try to stab him with something, there would be that unfortunately located tunnel, you know, the one? And, and they get knocked over just in the nick of time. Anyway, uh, I wanted to um, avoid all of that kerfuffle. And so I simply... Uh, I got up, I got a Coke bottle, and I shouted, go away. <laughs> and it worked. So, <laughs> so there we go. James Bond and Jason Bourne need not have um, jumped on a roof or anything like that at all. They could have just shouted, go away. Anyway, Ezra and the Jews faced uh, a, a kind of a danger a bit like that. They were understandably worried about what might happen. They were going to go into a very tough place. Um, and do you know what? I, I think that from time to time, you and I might feel a little bit like that. It might not be that uh, knives are being pointed at us or that uh, we're going through a territory where there are bandits, but I would suggest that lots of us are facing a time of challenge. Um, our challenges might be along the lines of, um, how will I afford the increase in heating costs? or uh, fuel prices, or food prices. And if not you, then you might think, well, how will others afford it all? I had my hair cut yesterday, as I'm sure you can see, looking very nice. Um, and uh, on, the, on the chair, the guy who sat next to me having his hair cut at the same time, I was just kind of overhearing his conversation. And, and he, was, he was a public sector worker, I could tell. And he was, he was more than just peeved by the way that um, inflation's going up, but his salary wasn't. And he was, he was actually quite worried about how he was going to pay his rent. Um, and it, you could just tell with the conversation that this was, this was not someone who's just like, inconvenienced, and this was someone who was actually quite worried about how he's going to afford some stuff. And, and I don't think he's the only one out there. Well, if you're a bit like that chap, and you find yourself in a position that you've got something to worry about, be it a petty thing or be it a serious thing, I'd like to introduce you to a chap called um, Evagrius, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Evagrius of Pontus. Uh, and he's an Egyptian desert monk, and um, I want to introduce you to a method that he mastered, um, and it was a method to hand over fear to God. 
Um, Evagrius uh, recognized that much of what causes us uh, to worry stems from one of three things. Uh, it's, it's our insecurity, or it's our misunderstanding of God's character, uh, or it's, it's often just lies from the devil. And he also understood that we can't just stop thinking about things. Um, we can't just stop about, we can't just try to think about nothing in order to sort of get the worry out of the way. That's not a, that mechanism just doesn't work. He said, well, what we've got to do is actually we've got to think about something else. Um, in effect, and he kind of uses his own language, but in today's language, we might say he wanted, he wanted, us, he wanted to encourage us to change to the truth channel. It's about listening to something else, changing the channel so you're not hearing uh, um, the worry, you're hearing something else instead. And he came up with a way by which uh, we can do that. And whilst he did it uh, hundreds of years ago, the principles remain the same uh, today. I want to give you an example. So uh, on the screen is going to be a question. Here we go. Um, what is the thought, the feeling, or the sensation that we have? So you can fill in a, a, a gap that you've got, a worry, a, um, a, a, some anxiety that you've got. It might be that um, you could say, well, I'm worried about the increase in the cost of living and not being able to afford a new car in order to get to work. That's a legitimate uh, worry and fear. And Evagoras then sought to understand, well, what's the cause of that worry? Not the, not the, not the in a sense, the, the, the actual or practical cause, but what, what's the cause of our, um, our response of worry? Um, do we have any misguided belief or conviction um, which might be leading to that sense of worry? So to continue our... our um, our example, if the next question we ask is, what is the conviction we hold that is causing us uh, this particular feeling that we have? We might say, well, my safety and my security are in my bank account. And having a new car will make me happy. And then, Evagrius uh, sought to find a piece of scripture, an example of truth or a piece of promise that God's written down which challenges or contradicts that misguided conviction. And that requires, I think, a little bit of work on our part, um, although Google will help us, but uh, reading the Bible will help us to find out some of these truths. So um, what's the truth is our third question. And in this example, it might be that we, we come across a piece of Bible that looks like this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Ha! Huh. Isn't that good? Isn't, isn't that a wonderful thing to hear? And I just wonder whether it would be wonderful to change the channel, to hear not the worry, but the truth that God said. You know, and he does the hard stuff. He sorts it out. We just need to look at the truth. I just I love it when we when we come across these truths at these at these times, and I just think they're really very helpful. When I was at university a couple of weeks ago, um, <laughs> I, I, I used to post. I used to have little post-it notes on bits of thread, 
and I used to blue tack them on the, my ceiling and so that when I woke up, I'd knock my head against a bit of a paper. And on the paper was a, was a Bible verse, a little truth that I, that I sort of, in a sense, wanted it to speak over me. And I found that just really useful. So when I woke up, the first thing I, I kind of like, you know, saw or, or hit um, was, was, a, was a, a biblical truth. Um, maybe you steal that idea. I think it would be great. Um, so going back to our story, Ezra was a scholar. He's an expert in Jewish law. He studied the law and he believed it. And when he was faced with a, a perilous journey, um, you know, whilst carrying lots of things through a very uh, um, a dangerous area, this is what he said. This was, in a sense, his bit of Evagoras or, or his post-it note. This is what he said. He said it aloud to all the Jews so they could hear it. He said this, Ezra 8.22. Uh, 8, he said, The gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him but his great anger is against all for who forsake him. So imagine you're one of those Jews. You're worried, you're carrying a load of booze, someone's going to steal it from you and probably whack you. And then you hear this, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. This is a, someone who knows what he's talking about saying these words. Isn't that a comfort? Isn't that piece of truth something that's going to help us in a time of worry? I just think it's a marvellous. The equivalent to Ezra today might be someone who just reads the Bible and just, just drinks it in. Uh, not necessarily a, a, a theologian or, or, or someone famous, but just someone who just reads and reads and reads and just lets it sink in. You know, uh, it's someone who saturates themselves with the truth. So that when they face trials and challenges, they can grab onto something that stops them from falling. And do you know, the goal of reading the Bible, it, it, it's not to fill our heads with information. It's to be transformed. It's to be reformed as spiritual beings in relationship with God. To take on the mind of Christ. To actually think the way that Jesus Christ thinks. To be Christ-like. That's what it's there for. And so our challenge is not just to merely think about the scriptures, but to think scriptures. And I'd say that anxiety and stress and, and, and worry are won and lost in the mind. And the truth is, the truth is we all struggle with this. None of us are immune uh, to, to worry and anxiety. Um, we struggle in different ways. Um, and some of us, it's just it's more obvious that we struggle, and, and for some of us, well, we're frankly able to suppress or disguise our emotions and worries a little bit better. But the truth is we all have them. And I came across, I was reading a book uh, a few months ago uh, by Chrissy Wimber. Chrissy is um, uh, uh, John and um, Carol Wimber's daughter, and, and John Wimber was the, the first um, person ever to lead a vineyard church. Anyway, Chrissy Wimber said this. She said, Some of the most powerful believers around me are not those who have seen victory over their suffering, but those who decided to trust God in the midst of it. That's a really clever thing to say. And, she, and her book is all about her personal uh, uh, challenges 
um, with mental health. Um, it's a good book, I can't remember what it's called now, but just look for Chrissy Rimba on, I think, no, it's called Whole, something about wholesome, something like that. Anyway, um, I'm sure you'll find it if you look hard. Um, Ezra was someone who invested time and energy into reading and living out the truth in Scripture. He was good at it, and he was tasked with developing others so that they could challenge, sorry, they could change to the truth channel when they faced troubling times. He led the Jews on a journey, and really that journey was a test. It caused them to turn to the Lord and to trust the Lord as he promised he would do. And the context that we face might be different in specifics, but they're similar in principle. Many of us will be facing ahead, uh, times, challenging times. It might be that it's a challenge uh, to bring up children. It might be that it's a challenge to, uh, to, to be in a job that's fulfilling. It might be a challenge because you just don't feel valued. It might be a challenge because you've got exams looming. You fill in your gaps. And when we face challenges, it would be good to go through these exercises, perhaps, and, and as a means to change the channel. And, and it's done when we simply hug the truth. When we, we familiarize ourselves with the, with the promises of God that counteract the false convictions that we hold. And I'll finish here. Fighting fear head-on is exhausting. Ignoring fear is futile. But changing to the truth channel means we trust in God in the midst of everything. We'd love to invite you to be part of the community at Sheffield Vineyard. You can head to the website and find more information about how you can serve, join a life group, get involved in church life in general. Bless you and have a great week.